This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast, with your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to this week's No Near Never podcast. Guests this week are James and Jordan, and there's a bit to get through. We'll start by talking about the Manchester United game, which was obviously a few days ago, but hopefully it's still fresh in everyone's memory. Burnley lost 3-1 at Old Trafford, of course, and probably undeserved that scoreline but we'll get on to that um Jordan first of all welcome to the podcast it's the first time you've been on you were at Old Trafford weren't you what did you make of the overall performance um thanks guys um yeah I was I was there on Wednesday night and um I have to say I think generally it was one of our best performances of the season I think you know um you can look at it from two ways you can look at it from the defensive point of view and the fact that we've conceded um, our 15th and 16th I think had a goals of the season or you can look at it from the point of view that we've gone to Old Trafford in front of you know a, a the third highest crowd of the season against a team with so many um, quality players in and we've put in a real performance. Um, I mean, I said to my friend during the game that you wouldn't be able to tell who was the home team and who was the away team. I think first half in particular, we, we had the impetus to attack. Um, I thought Cartley was terrific. Um, Danny Ings was probably the pick of the bunch. Um, Honourable mentions to David Jones and Kieran Trippier as well. I thought they were outstanding on the night. Um, but I think generally it was a it was a really good team performance. Um, but again, comes back to the point of of the I think it's more than Achilles heel now it's more than that it's it's just a really um big problem at the minute I don't know why we're conceding the the headers we are certainly the the easiness with which the headers um we're conceding seems to be going in is a bit of concern whether it's um you know down to tactics or whatever or, or just simple concentration lapses in the box I'm not entirely sure but um no I was I was impressed but um yeah we, we need to put it behind us and move on now definitely it it is a funny one because I suppose nobody really expects us to get anything at Old Trafford, and then we got nothing at Old Trafford, but we were still quite disappointed. It's one of the the quirks about football, isn't it? How that can happen, and yeah, you're right. In what you say, we did play very well. It's just we managed to give away some really really soft goals. Um, James, I know you've just seen the highlights. The the goals that we've given away are incredibly poor, even by our own recent poor standards of defending. 
Yeah, I was actually going to start with saying that I can't believe you just said I hope it's fresh in everyone's memory. Why would anyone want a 3-1 defeat to be fresh in their memory? <laughs> well, we played quite well, Jordan's just said it was one of the best performances of the season. We got beat. Well. Dramatic. <laughs> um, I don't know, on the goals, do we forget how to head when the ball gets into our own box? Because we seem to win everything in our own half until it gets to our own penalty area, in which case we lose everything. Um, it's quite a strange contrast because I mean both Shackle and Keane are you know, very capable in the air but it seems that when the ball sort of bounce around our area um, we're just incapable of you know getting ahead on it it is a strange one because Michael Keane seems very good at attacking the ball in the opposition box even though he hasn't scored yet he's come close a few times and he had a good effort in the first few minutes um, at United but he, he seems to get caught under the ball a bit from set pieces. I'm not sure what it is. And the first one in particular, United have won three headers in our six-yard box, and that's that's pub team defending. I'm afraid, and I've taken some stick for being overly critical about the way we've defended, but it is amateurish and it's embarrassing now. The number of goals that we're conceding from simple set pieces, as Jordan says, it's more than more than just a weakness. Now it's 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 just too much, and we've got to do something about it. Or that's going to be what what relegates in the end. And to come back to something more positive, Jordan, you've already touched on some of the individual performances, but Danny Ings, who we'll talk about in more detail later in the podcast, like we seem to every week at the minute, he was absolutely phenomenal, wasn't he? It was probably his best game for us, although he did miss a very good chance at the start of the second half. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've got the sense with Danny Ings that every time I've watched him this season, um, which has been quite regular, um, fortunately enough, he seems to have been improved um, gradually, game by game. I think you can see in his game, you know, the confidence is there, the little touches, the audacious flicks, which I think go back to last season at the back end when it went on that barren run. If if he'd have been pulling those flicks off, um, or sorry, if he hadn't been pulling those flicks off, Frustration would have crept in. He would have got his, um, you know, his head down. But I think now, you know, playing in the Premier League, having a, a, a good few goals behind him at this level, you know, the, the tricks seem to be working. The little flicks, the moments of genius, and he gets people off off the seats. Ultimately, I mean, he's an exciting player to watch, and um, delighted to say with us in, in January, despite obviously the the amount of speculation, um, he he would have been the first to admit after the Sunderland match where it wasn't a, a great team performance, um, but Ings in particular wasn't at his best. So to bounce back from that, put the speculation behind him, and produce what he produced on Wednesday night was terrific. And the header as well was was a you know a really good goal. Um, again, another trademark trippy across, and he had to stretch a bit to get the end of it. But um, no, superb header, and uh, it capped off what was a wonderful display. I don't think there's been enough credit for Frings's goal. Actually, obviously we, we've lost at the end of the day, and the focus is on our defending and set pieces. But it's a fantastic ball into the box from Trippier. Ings' movement is what really caught my eye. Just a couple of little steps away from Small into to lose the defender and then running behind him. The defender's got no idea what he's doing. And okay, Chris Smalling isn't the best defender in the world, but it completely did him with just a, a little bit of subtle movement that lost him and then a really good header. I think that should be acknowledged. I think Ings has got something like five goals in his last seven games. Um, now, which is an indication of, of just how well he's been playing since probably the start of, of the transfer window. Maybe that was a a, a key moment that <laughs> helped him to, to find that excellent form. But yeah, we'll, we'll come on to things a little bit later. Um, James, if we can come back to you. Sean Dyche said in his post-game comments that defending set pieces was a detail 
that we're not getting right. It, it seemed a strange way of describing it to me. Surely it's a fundamental thing, being able to defend set pieces. Um, yeah, you'd, you'd say so. Um, you could maybe say it's a detail the other way if you're not uh, you know, converting chances, but I think the repeat problems, I don't think you can start making excuses from now. It's clear that you know there's, there's something wrong there. And I don't know whether part of it is Tom Heaton not really coming for a lot. I know he's, you know, in the past you'd probably expect a keeper to maybe have a go at anything that's around head height between him and the penalty spot. Uh, and that's not something Heaton really does. And I know people used to criticise uh, Lee Grant, obviously, for coming and punching stuff, but I'd rather maybe have someone punch it than uh, stick firmly on his line. Um, but I don't know if that's just a, a Tom Heaton problem, really, to be honest. I think you see on the, the Danny Ings header goal that De Gea doesn't really seem keen to, to make an attempt to come and collect the cross, so... Maybe it's just more of a modern goalkeeping issue. I think it's, it's an interesting point. I think maybe the problem with goalkeepers and crosses is when, when they come for some and then don't come for others and you're never sure what they're going to do. I think that was a problem that, that we had with Brian Jensen. He'd sometimes come and get everything and it'd look brilliant and then other times he'd come and flap and not get anything and then he'd stay at home and the defenders were expecting him to come. It's, it's when there's the uncertainty, I think there's, there's a problem there, but... Yeah, when when I think when the ball's in the six yard box, the goalkeeper has to be a bit more decisive. What what do you think about that, John? Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I don't. I mean, people might perceive it to be a confidence issue, but I don't necessarily agree with that. I think you know, in the modern game, people teams will flood um, the opposition six yard box from set pieces. They'll get people standing on the keeper and obstructing his view, obstructing his his path to the ball when it's in the air. And I think, as James said, we've gone from sort of one extreme to the other with with Lee Grant, who obviously came for a lot of crosses, didn't particularly win um, a lot of them, but um, the effort was there to win them all. And now we've gone to Heaton, who's much more conservative, will stay firm on his line. Um, So it is an interesting one. Um, As I say, you know, Heaton, um, I think for the first United goal in particular, I remember this being a lot of plays in around the six-yard box. Now, whether Heaton doesn't think he can come and claim the ball from that position, I'm not entirely sure, or whether Darch is, is instructing him to stay on his line. Um, again, it's, it's another talking point. But, um, no, obviously, it, it is a concern. I don't think all the blame can be can be put with Heaton, but then again, I don't think he could be absolved of any blame whatsoever because, at the end of the day, he is the last line of defence and you would expect him to perhaps to be a bit more commanding in certain situations. It is a collective failing, isn't it? So we've got to be careful not to pick on individuals too much. But that said, both of Chris Smalling's goals, he seems to get above Michael Keane far too easily, um, in my view. Now, I'm a big fan of Keane. I think he's done very well since coming into the side. I think he's confident on the ball, which is a really big plus in the Premier League. But there is a stat that suggests that he's not quite working. We've kept one clean sheet with Keane in the side. Whereas early in the season we kept four with Michael Duff in the back four. Um, now the, the goals conceded per game is quite similar for the two of them. So maybe that's more indicative. But the clean sheets thing maybe does suggest that Duff could come back into the side and improve things. What what do you think about that, James? I think, to be honest, I don't think Keane's done you know, a lot wrong. Maybe you can look at uh, not defending crosses and, and maybe say you need to make a scapegoat and make an example of someone but you know I think it'd be very harsh when he's clearly um he's clearly been brought in as the future at centre back and you know with Michael Duff's age I don't really see a, a point in um you know bringing him in now instead of Keane at this stage of the season when I think for the most part his defensive work's been well it, it's clearly just looks like a time a case of more time spent on the corners on the training ground 
And I think that goes, you know, actually in both directions as well because our corners have been awfully wasteful going forwards. Um, so I think both, you know, both units need to really take a look at what they're doing and, and try and improve in our set pieces. It's been pointed out a few times on social media that maybe that's why we can't defend them because we can't take them either. So the practice on the training ground must just be a bit of a farce because we seem incapable of getting a corner over the first man so they've not had to defend any maybe that's a job for Keith Tracy don't get him back in as a player or get him back <laughs> in as a corner taker for practice yeah I'm, I'm not sure I'm keen on that idea to be honest um, sticking with the, the defending for for a moment Jordan a couple of other things that have been mentioned are is that we are quite a small team at the moment and maybe Manchester United weren't the best example because they were quite a small team as well but there's players like Sam Volks on the bench who might improve our defending set pieces, also attacking set pieces. Um, obviously, Dash has his, his settled team and he's quite happy with that and he only seems to change it when um, when he has to, like when Dimani was injured. But could Volks for Barnes be a change that, that could improve things, maybe? Um, definitely, I, I think so. Um, we know what Volks is capable of in, in both boxes from last season, obviously, with prolific in front to go with his head and I think at times as well there was uh, moments in our own penalty box when um, the ball would be coming in and he would be you know the, the man to clear it I mean you know he is I think 6'3", six, 6'4", six, or something he is a tall striker um, and to have him um, within the team um, or sorry not within the team on the bench at the minute could it be seen as a waste? So, uh, possibly um, I think he had something both going forwards and defending um, as you say, Dyche seems very settled with the team at the minute and unless an injury did occur, I, I can't see Volks coming in um, any time soon, particularly because Barnes has been playing well. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, um, Volks, you know, it, obviously being tall, I mean, if you look across the back four, as, as you mentioned, Michael Duff, you know, he, he's quite tall. I mean, Keane is as well. Um, I think the thing with, with Duff and Keane is Duff's got the experience. I think, is there a 15-year age gap between Duff and Keane? Um, Duff's been at this level before. Um, you know, he can um, kind of rub the strikers up the wrong way, um, you know, the, the opposition strikers. So there's certainly um, pros and cons to having Duff in there um, as well as Vokes. So maybe it's something he needs to look at, but I can't see him changing it, but I think he does need to perhaps. I think it's it's getting to the stage now where it's almost a case of trial and error where you've just got to try new things and see if that works because what we've been doing, as as well as we've played in some games, we're not getting the right results and at some point you've got to look at the league table and look at the fixtures we've got coming ahead and you've got to think we're going to have to try something different because I don't think we're going to get the results we need playing the way we are, defending the way we are, attacking the way we are. I just don't think it's going to come together and maybe making some changes. They don't have to be big changes, just a couple. And obviously the work on the training ground is needed. But, yeah, I'd take James's point about Keane being the future, and I, I wouldn't suggest it if I didn't think it would be more than a sticking plaster putting Duff in. But I do think some of the goals we've conceded from set-pieces recently wouldn't have happened if Duff was inside, and it's that simple. Maybe... He'd be weaker in certain areas where he's obviously not as much pace. Keane seems better on the ball. But if we're trying to address that specific problem, maybe putting Duff in would help. And I just think, like Jordan says, his experience at some point, you've got to think about using it. Um, on the on the settled team thing, James, if we can bring you back in, 
Um, Kitely did quite well, didn't he, at Manchester United? And he's probably going to be the man that, that gets that, that right wing slot with Arfield moving into midfield. There's not that many other options, but Kitely's done okay when he's played this season, hasn't he? Yeah, I thought, you know, he, particularly against West Brom, um, the last 10 or 15 minutes, he had a really good game. Um, he was showing, you know, quite a lot of promise uh, coming forwards. And, and you know, I think that's maybe what we need now, to be honest, at this point of the stage, uh, season, just to maybe go for things a bit more. Um, I think the, the deal with playing Arfield on the wings always kind of been that he's not an out-and-out winger and you get a little bit more of the defensive side as well as the attacking side. But he has gone through stages this season where he's not been particularly effective. You know, I think... Um, <clears throat> there was definitely a spell after the game at Selhurst Park where he seemed to lose his confidence a little after obviously missing the penalty um, and, and costing us what would have been three points if he'd uh, he'd put it away. Um, and Carty was probably hard done by, to be honest. You know, early in the season after we got the win away at Stoke, he was you know pretty instrumental in in the goals there. And and you know it's a bit of a strange one since we. You know, splashed out to make him, him a permanent signing uh, before the season. We've not really used him as much as you probably expect. It's, it's a funny one, Kyle, isn't it? Because I, I don't know if it was part of the the loan deal that if we got promoted, we'd keep him. Although you, you'd think that promotion was so unlikely that that wouldn't have even come into the reckoning. So that doesn't quite stack up. But then we paid what was reportedly as much as one point five million for him, but he never seems to be. Near the team, really. Taylor played initially, didn't he? I know Cowley had an injury in pre-season that maybe put him a few weeks behind the others, but there's been opportunities to get him in the team and he's he's not quite nailed that down. But Jordan, as you say, he was particularly good at, at Old Trafford, wasn't he? Yeah, I thought, um, as I mentioned earlier, Cowley was one of our stand-up performances. Um, again, that first-up performance down the left, he was brilliant. Um, he gave young Paddy McNair, who was playing at right-back, um, a torrid time. And... Um, I think at times his delivery can be found a bit wanting, particularly on his weaker foot. Um, he often went to the bar line and looked to get it in with his, with his weaker foot. There was the chance when he, he cut in a bit into the area and perhaps should have crossed it for Barnes, but um, he took what looked to be a shot on his head into the far corner. Um, but yeah, it was magnificent. And, and second off, again, he, he mixed it up a bit more. There was deliveries with, with the left foot and with the right foot. Um, those in swinging crosses in particular I thought caused United a few problems and as we touched on earlier if Vox had been in the team then maybe he gets on the end of one and suddenly the, the complexion of the game changes but um, I'm pleased that he, he did so well because um, I think it gives um, Marnie's injury you know, as unfortunate and, and crushing as it was can be a blessing in disguise for someone like Cartley who can come back into the team and, and prove the worth as you say we've, we've paid £1.5 million for him which Obviously, by the other 19 clubs in the Premier League, it's pocket money, but for us, it's it's a pretty big deal. Um, so we need to be getting our money's worth now. Um, whether part of that fee was um, taken into account his performances last season or not, I'm not sure. But certainly, um, it was a, a really good performance. Um, as James mentioned, against West Brom, for those last few minutes, it was really good as well. So hopefully, now it can be the chance of, uh, sorry, the start of a really good chance in, in the Burnley side for Cartley to really push on now and, and nail down a regular first-team place. Moving on from the Manchester United game then, um, the league table doesn't make particularly good reading at the moment, especially given the, the games that are to come. Obviously Chelsea away at the weekend that we'll come to a little bit later in the podcast, but Burnley are now second bottom after other teams have put some results on the board. Villa are just above us, QPR just above us, but it is still quite tight. Leicester seem a bit cut off. Um, 
James, how do you see the the season panning out at the moment? There's been opportunities for us to have more points on the board, and it's got to be disappointing that from those that little run of of what we always call six pointers, we didn't really get enough th- from them, did we? It was what was it four points from the four games? Yeah, I mean, I think if you you know you look at the season, um, there's probably been a few patches where we we really should have got more than we have from it. Um, Obviously, the, the period near the beginning of the season where we had a couple of draws where really we should have uh, probably got more. You know, Obviously, Man United at home where it was probably the best time to play them. They, they, were, they were poor. Uh, even though they just bought Di Maria, they would, didn't really show a lot and we probably should have picked up points there. So there was the Palace game and then there was Sunderland at home. And I think all three of those were games that, <clears throat> you know, if we took our chances, we've, we've probably got nine points rather than three. And, you know, if you look at the table now, I'll just imagine the difference that an extra six points would be making. You know, it'd be be night and day. It'd be you know a completely different outlook, and you'd probably be actually thinking that it was unlikely we were going to really get sucked back down because you wouldn't see a way that we weren't going to pick up at least a few more points from what's left. Um, but like you said, you know, there's been a spell of games where you know again Palace at home, um, you know, Sunderland away, you maybe want to get more from, and obviously you know West Brom at home as well. Were all games that you thought maybe we could have picked something up from, and. Um, I mean, particularly obviously, Palace and West Brom are disappointing because of the way that we, you know, we dropped the points. You know, Palace, we looked sensational for the first twenty minutes, and then I think we all left. And you know, there's just no excuse I think for for losing the game that way. And now, obviously, you look Saturday. We've got a really tough game, and that's going to be you know, really difficult to see us getting anything from. And then, obviously, the, the games coming after that aren't easy. Swansea, Liverpool, Man City are all going to be tough games, and obviously, Southampton away as well. Um, in fact, really looking at it now, you're probably saying end of April, this game that you realistically expect us to maybe get three points out of, and that's Leicester at home. Um, so it is actually looking pretty pretty grim now for when you're looking at the next game you'd possibly expect us to win. This this is the difficulty. I think we'd all built up this little run as something that could be season-defining at the end of the season. And Although point a point a game is good enough, probably, overall, from those fixtures, I don't think it was enough. And you're right to pick out the Palace and West Brom games because if we'd held on to the leads, the two goal leads that we had in those games, we'd have five more points and we'd be well away from the trouble and had a nice cushion. If you talk about those two games and you talk about the three games I mentioned earlier in the season, um, you know, you're looking at what, 11 points extra? And that's got you, that's got you up at about 12. Halfway up the league, yeah. You know? And if you, were, sure. if you were sat in 12, you know, 32 points, which would have you 10 points clear of, of Villa, you'd point. think, yeah. you know, there's no way we're going to let it slip from there. But, I mean, obviously you look at the, the run we've got coming up and you, it's more about trying not to lose really against, you know, most of those sides. Particularly as, you know, there's a good few of those games that are away from home as well, which is, you know, it's going to be so tough to go to places like Stamford Bridge and Anfield and... Uh, I can't even remember what Southampton's ground's called now, St Mary's, <laughs> you know, and expect to, to get anything more than not get thumped. It's actually my nearest Premier League ground, I should know St Mary's. Yeah, I think we've got to be careful because I think all clubs could point at games that they probably deserved a bit more, but it's it's the manner of the, the points that we've given away. Palace at home and away, we've mentioned Scott Arfield's penalty already, but that's another two points that we really should have had, probably edged that game, so... I'm just disappointed to look at the league table now and see us in 19th because I, 
you say the league table doesn't lie, but I don't agree that that's a fair reflection of how we've played. Um, Jordan, if we can bring you back in, how do you assess the, the current situation and the games that we've got coming up? Um, well, they're not the easiest of games, they're the ones coming up. Um, I think the one thing I will say is, um, I, I know I've already touched on the United game, but going to Old Trafford, there was obviously no real sense of, of getting a win. Um, there was no real sense of, of going there and dominating them for 90 minutes and picking up three points. So I think that kind of pressure-free um, environment that we were going into helped us in a way. It helped us put the cat amongst the pigeons and um, particularly winning scored as well. Um, obviously that helped. So I think, I'm not saying we're going to go to places like Stamford Bridge and, and Anfield and, and St Mary's um, and and do the same, put on the same performance. But I certainly think there's, there's almost like um, a no-lose situation because, you know, as I say, we are very much the underdog in, in pretty much all of our matches this season. But those places, especially when no one expects us to pick up a win, you know, could we capitalise on, on possible complacency? Uh, who knows? You know, it, it could be a factor. Um, but you know, out, out of these forthcoming games, I'd probably say Swansea at home represents our best chance of of getting anything, um, like three points. Um, they haven't been on the best of runs themselves recently, um, and they seem to be just um, you know plodding along in mid-table with no real European um, hopes, um, certainly no relegation fears. So that could be a, a game that we could win. Um, anywhere else, though, it's just a case of going down there, um, trying to put in the best performance we can do um, against the, the players um, that these teams have and, and see what we can uh, come out with. But, um, yeah, as James said, you know, the last game, I think from then onwards we've got some winnable fixtures for the remaining uh, three or four games. Um, I think it's interesting as well to note that the change of managers down at the bottom, I think ourselves and Leicester um, and... Um, you know, Sunderland Hall have stuck with those managers, and you know, I'm, people say, you know, stick or twist. What that's the key question. Uh, what should we do? But um, the, all these things can can affect performances and results. And um, I just hope that we can take our own destiny into our own hands and um, make sure we try and get as many points as possible from those games. That's an interesting point. Obviously, Phil have gone with Tim Sherwood, and I think he's a man who certainly divides opinion and. For me, I think Sherwood will probably have a positive impact there, but a lot of people are saying that Sherwood is going to seal their fate and that they're going to go down. It looks like Leicester are going to stick with Pearson as well, and he's not doing particularly well there. So maybe you could put those two as being clubs that we can finish above, but then you're trying to pick another one out, and it does start to get tricky. Um, I suppose it's a case at this stage of just trying to stay within touching distance of of that dreaded dotted line, isn't it? The, the last few games, if we give ourselves a chance, James then that leaves us alive, doesn't it? If, if we can go to Villa on the last day, knowing that a win keeps us up, we'd take that, wouldn't we? Oh, definitely, I think, you know, probably fancy chances at, at, at Villa. Um, aside that I haven't really scored many goals, and that's coming from us. We've probably not really, we've not really scored a huge amount. You know, we've scored 24 goals, they've scored half of that, which, to be honest, from 25 games to only score 12 goals is, um, well, pathetic, really, isn't it? Um so you definitely fancy, uh, you know, the chances of of getting something there, and I think, you know, you've got to look at maybe um, Leicester and Stoke at home as the games um, before that that we can try and set ourselves up to be in a position to 
to survive on the last day. Okay, well that's all quite depressing to look at. <laughs> so we'll move on now and do our seemingly weekly section on Danny Ings and his future at the moment. I know Michael was hosting the podcast last week and did a bit on Ings, but the latest is that he was apparently in Spain talking. Michael was hosting the podcast last week and did a bit on Ings, but the latest is that he was apparently in Spain talking to David Moyes. There was a picture on social media that was apparently fake. But the son had a, a back page splash with him boarding a plane that was apparently going to Spain. And Real Sociedad are the team that are apparently going to offer him £60,000 a week. Um, now, Ings will pretty much have his choice of clubs in the Premier League, I expect, in the summer. Um, and he's scoring a lot of goals at the moment, which is getting him a lot of attention. I think his performance at Old Trafford will have opened a lot of eyes to show that he can do that at that sort of level. And there's players like Falcao, Van Persie, Rooney, Di Maria on the pitch, and he's better than all of them. I think that was a sign that he can play right at the top, and it's been suggested that Manchester United could go for him in the summer when Falcao's loans up, obviously Van Persie's getting older, so it's not out of the question, I think, that, that United could join the chase, although Liverpool seem to be front-runners. Um, James, what's what's your take on the latest developments? Obviously, it's, it's in our interest that he goes uh, to another Premier League club where we get the best possible money for him, but it would be interesting to see him test himself abroad, wouldn't it? I think it, it would be interesting to see him you know, abroad, but um, I mean, solely from a, a money-for-the-club point of view, I'd rather he didn't go abroad, because I think we just get the 200 and uh, whatever thousand it is for, for if he does that and you know I think there's a chance of getting a pretty good um, tribunal if he goes somewhere in England uh, to be honest you know that, I think it's all um, the only the only thing about speculation with Danny Ings that I think we need to worry about is just whether it's going to distract him from, from what he's doing right now um, because we want him obviously scoring goals I think he wants to be scoring goals if he wants to you know get the best move he can in the summer I'm not really concerned about him leaving in the summer. I think it's you know pretty much a given. We've we've known that all along. Um, but I think as far as we're concerned, it's just a case of getting the most out of him we can. And you know if we stay up and he goes to someone like Liverpool, then uh, you know we should get a reasonable tribunal fee, especially if he scored quite a few goals on the running. Um, you know, obviously we can then plan going forward with the nice new Sky deal to to spend a bit of money and. Get a new replacement. Spend a bit of money. I wouldn't be holding my breath for that one. Like <laughs> Jordan, this is the first time we've had you on the podcast, so we've not had your take on the Ings situation. Although the rest of us are pretty much sick of of talking about it. It's interesting that Sean Dyche was on goals on Sunday over the weekend, uh, pretty much talking up Ings, and it was a bit of a sales pitch. Obviously, it's it's as we've said, it's in the club's interest that he goes to the Premier League club. It's been talk of five million or so as a tribunal fee, but everyone's pretty much guessing at this stage. Um, what's your view on it? Um, well, I think there's a couple of ways of looking at it. From Firstly, from an Ings point of view, which is um, if he stays in the Premier League, I think his England ambitions become a lot more realistic. I'm not saying he wouldn't get into the England squad if he did go to, to Real Sociedad with David Moyes, but there's certainly a more realistic um, chance of him doing that if he remained in England with, say, Liverpool or Spurs or United. Um, and then for us as well, as we've mentioned, the financial um, benefits that would come with Ingsen in the Premier League um, would be you know, valuable to a club like ourselves. We wouldn't quite get that same money if he went uh, to Spain. But um, you know, I, I see Ings as this down-to-earth, hard-working, um, you know, talented centre-forward who has a lot to offer um, the, the club wherever he goes. Um, uh, I'm a big fan of his. Um, and as James said, I think it's nailed on that he will leave in the summer. Um, 
you know, we should be grateful that, that we've had him really and the goals that have, that have won us games and got us points over, over the course of the season. But um, no, I would like to see him in the Premier League just to just to be able to kind of watch one match of the day next season, whether it's with us on it or not. I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but uh, obviously, you know, I, um, I like the guy and it would be nice to see his progression continue um, playing in the Champions League as well. That's probably a big aspiration for himself. So um, there's certainly a lot of um, exciting prospects for Ings, um, less so for ourselves if if he does move on and, and with our uh, fate at the end of the season, whether we remain in the Premier League or not. But um, no, I've, I've enjoyed having him at the club and everything like that. But um, yeah, I can see him going in the summer to, to Liverpool. And um, no, I wish him all the best if he does. I think Liverpool would be a good move for him, really. I think he'd, he'd fit into their style quite well. And they've got quite a lot of young English talents. Rodgers seems keen to integrate domestic players as much as possible. So of, of all the clubs that have been mentioned, I think Liverpool um, probably stand out for me as, as one where he could do very well. Um, we've touched on the international call-up business. Robbie Kopak wrote a piece on site this week um, following on from some of the speculation that, that Roy Hodgson is considering Ings. Um, Roy, clearly a fan of, of my blog the day before those comments where I'd said he was ready for an England call-up so it's good to see the England manager is a fan of, of my work. Um, there are quite a lot of strikers to pick from, aren't there, James? But if we're going to talk about form, current form, Ings is probably playing as well as, as any striker around apart from Harry Kane. Yeah, um you know I think it, it's strange now to you know to look at the the, the England picture uh, and just where do you go with it because I don't think I mean I the last World Cup I didn't want Wayne Rooney anywhere near the side. I still don't want Wayne Rooney anywhere near the side but unfortunately he's been made captain so it doesn't look like he's going to go anywhere. But you know I think you seriously have to look at you know dropping people like Rooney and, and going with a you know a more youthful approach. I think there's no question that Harry Kane has to has to break into the England side at some point soon. He's you know his club form's sensational, and um, you really have to wonder where Spurs would be without without him because it doesn't really look like they have any other strikers who can score goals. So um, you know it's pretty much a team made up of the midfield, uh, you know particularly Christian Eriksen obviously and, and Harry Kane, and that's more or less it. Um, so you know he's definitely where I look in, and obviously you've got you've got Sturridge and. And Sterling, who have both been, you know, reasonable at Liverpool, and then you've got Danny Ings, who's I think making a, a bold claim. You know, if he was playing for any of the top sides, um, I think he, you know, he'd already be in there, wouldn't he? Looking at the top scorers, Ings has got nine, which places him level with the likes of, of Boney and Hazard and Eriksen. And the only English players ahead of him are Austin and Kane, and also Berahino. Um, I suppose that there's two ways of looking at this, isn't there? There's the under twenty ones tournament in the summer, and I know. Hodgson has said he's quite keen for for players, even players who've played senior international football to go to that tournament and get the tournament experience. But there is there, there's surely scope to try these new players, young players like Ings, in the qualifiers given that the qualifiers are such a low standard anyway you'd expect us to win, even with a team of, of kids out. What's your assessment, Jordan? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think is worth giving a try. Um, we've got, I think it's Lithuania, um, either at Wembley or obviously in Lithuania next month, and then we've got a friendly with Italy as well. So um, I think it's worth trying. Uh, the only thing I will say is that it's quite an unfortunate time uh, in some respects for things to be considered now for England, because I think at the minute you'd have to say our striking options 
um, uh, you know, quite healthy. Sturridge has returned from injury and, and will obviously go straight back in. Rooney seems to be the, the mercurial England man at the minute, so he'll probably be straight back in there. Um, Kane, as James said, will be in there. Um, so then really that, that kind of fourth place is up for grabs and then you've got um, Berahino, Carroll if he wasn't injured, Charlie Austin again if he wasn't injured, um, and then Ings as well. So it, you know it's it's a healthy competition up front, but there's no reason why Ings can't get in there. I think um, technically is is probably um, one of our best uh, attacking options. Um, I think Berahino is ahead of him in goals, but I think Berahino might have taken two, three, maybe four penalties as well this season and scored those. So. Um, I think it's it's worth noting what Ryerson said as well about the tournament experience. I think it would benefit the likes of, as well as Ings, of course, Ross Barkley and, and Raheem Sterling, perhaps for them to go to that in the summer. So, because I mean, let's face it, they probably won't get that much experience with with the seniors at the tournament because we seem to be going out at the group stages. But uh, no, I think I think um, you know if I was Ryerson, I would I would select him for the the uh, Lithuania and Italy squads, and then I would urge Gareth Southgate to to pick him in the summer and and play him. I think Kane's in the same situation, isn't he? So it's, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the two of them. I think Kane's obviously in front because of the way he has been um, playing in the last few weeks. It's pretty much impossible to ignore him at this stage. But it, it would be fantastic to see, firstly, a player, a Burnley player, representing England at the most senior level. It's obviously a long, long time since that's happened. And also, talking about the tribunal fee, that would probably add another million or two onto the fee and we could be talking about a large amount of money that we can then reinvest in the summer whatever league we're in so yeah certainly something to keep an eye on and I'm sure we'll do another bit on Danny Ings and the speculation in his future on next week's podcast we seem to be doing it every week at the moment and the last topic that I want to bring on up on this week's podcast before we round off for the week is the potential of Burnley qualifying for Europe which sounds particularly far-fetched given that we are 19th in the league but there's the Fair Play League, which we are doing very well in, despite having Dean Marnie in our squad. Um, no red cards so far this season is counting for us. And apparently we are um, joint top of the Fair Play League. And as long as England are also in the top three of the European Fair Play League, then there is a chance that there will be a slot available. I think that's how it works. Hopefully I've represented the situation properly. So there is, a, a, I'd say it's a slim chance at this stage was qualifying for Europe, but would that be an ideal situation? We don't really have the squad to cope with it. It's could derail any promotion bid or survival bid next season. It's a lot of games to fit into the the early weeks of the season as well. But I'm sure um, people would love to see Burnley in Europe, and I certainly would. We're all too young to have seen it in the 60s, so it would be a fantastic opportunity. James, what's your view? It'd be interesting. You know, as you said, when a team's nineteenth, the last thing you think is um, they're going to be getting into the in, into the European uh, competitions. Um, but you could see it, I think, as as two ways. It'd be nice to to experience it, as you said. It's been a long time, and you know, most of us are, are too young to remember it. Um, but on the other hand, it can just be a distraction. If we do step in the Premier League, obviously, we know that we're going to be battling to avoid relegation again next time. Um, in which case you probably really don't want the extra games and you know in the championship if you're looking to push and come straight back up then again you probably don't really want the extra games because you want to concentrate on you know doing as well as you can in what is a very tough league it's a shame isn't it but I think that's it's the way that the the Europa League is these days isn't it it's designed in such a way that 
clubs don't really want to be in it and it, it would be a shame because I'd love to see us in it but you're right it wouldn't be good for us in a in a football sense possibly and maybe not even a financial sense a lot of the, the smaller clubs that are in the Europa League don't make money out of it because it costs so much money to go to these Eastern European clubs and the TV money is, is minimal in comparison to the Premier League and the Champions League um, Jordan I'm sure like us you don't remember Burnley in Europe it's it's something we'd all love to see but is, is the club ready for that sort of thing? Um, well I'd love to see it as you said but no I don't think we're ready for it I think um, Hull proved earlier this season that it can be um, a, a distraction you know they're struggling down there and I wouldn't want that to happen to us next season um, of course it would be would be brilliant to go to, to Eastern um, Europe and, and go to these different countries different atmospheres and, and sample it all but um, and, and I guess in, in that sense is also the chance to perhaps uh, market ourselves as a club for new players. Um, you know, you know, on the one hand, they've got you know the lure of playing, um, you know, in Europe for Burnley and, and helping out with uh, with a relegation fight. I'm sure if, if we do step, of course. But if we go down, um, even more so, it would be would be a distraction. It's a, a double edged sword, I think, in in some respects. Um, but um, yeah, it would help. Uh, sorry, wouldn't help any promotion bid that we we may have next season if we were to go down. I think, as well, recently we haven't had the the largest and deepest of squads to to delve into. Um, so you know, it's only more games to pick up injuries in. It's more games to um, you know see players perhaps lose confidence. So uh, it's a difficult one. It is. I'd love to see it, but um, maybe hopefully in a few years' time when perhaps we're more ready for it and hopefully stable um, in in the Premier League. Who knows? I think that's a, a fair thing to, to say, and it, it is a shame that you talk about playing in Europe as this thing that wouldn't be beneficial. But yeah, I think it's the, the design of the tournament makes it that way. If it was a straight knockout, then it'd be a totally different thing, wouldn't it? But we're talking about committing to half a dozen games straight away, and that's after you've qualified, which is probably another half a dozen games. So you'd be talking about an extra twelve games before November, December time, and it's, it's difficult for even the bigger clubs to cope with that. They're, tend to play the youngsters in a lot of the European games so that is something to keep an eye on but it, I wouldn't be too surprised if we started picking up a lot of cheap and needless bookings towards the end of the season to make sure that we can't qualify for the, from the fair play league because it's, it's not really in our interest, I don't think it would be particularly suitable, although I'm sure Sean Dyche would trot out his be relentless line and all his usual um, little nuggets of sound bites to the press to make sure that it was something that we would take on Um, that is about all we've got time for we'll talk briefly about the Chelsea game before we do round off for this week's podcast Chelsea away at the weekend about as daunting a game as you can get in the Premier League they are a long way clear at the top it's not something we're expecting to get anything from but the performance at Old Trafford was encouraging Um, James how do you see it going I think I think Chelsea well just I can't remember where they are on the table now but they're running away with it aren't they I think um, they're a long way to play, yeah. Yeah, and I just don't see them stopping, to be honest. Um, you know, they've they've scored they've scored a, quite a lot of goals, you know, fifty five um, so far, and they don't concede a lot. So um, I can't really see us getting anything from it at all. And it, it depends, I think, on how we play. If we defend corners like we have done recently, then obviously John Terry and Ivanovic are going to have a field day, and it could be. 
you know, horrific. It, it could be a painful one. It's one that I'm already looking at and thinking, I just thought we'd keep the score down and keep it respectable. Because goal difference, as much as anything else, could be important at the end of the season. Diego Costa's back. He's obviously a very talented striker and he's got a lot of goals already this season. I think it's it's a daunting one. But, like I said, it's encouraging the way we played at Old Trafford that we can go to these grounds and give teams a game. And we did get a point at the Etihad as well. Jordan, what's your view on the, the Chelsea game that's coming up? Well, as I mentioned, it's another pressure-free pressure free, sorry, uh, environment for the players um, and, and for the fans, of course. I think Darch will be looking to the recent FA Cup game with Bradford, Chelsea's game with Bradford at home, and, and use that perhaps as an example of um, you know, a smaller team going there and, and playing. I, I appreciate it's a different uh, sort of uh, competition and environment, and Chelsea maybe fielded a slightly weaker side, but... Um, you know, they, they've been obviously a superb this season, Chelsea, and even when they don't play particularly well, they always look like they're in the game. You know, they've never not been sort of in the game or at the races for, for too long anyway. Um, so, I mean, on the one hand, it could be a case of, of us perhaps going there and nicking something. On the other hand, it might be a case of, of asking how many they're going to score. But, um, um, yeah, it's not... Uh, I mean, after the Old Trafford defeat, the first thing the players will want to do, I imagine, is... is Come straight back into that domestic football and, and pick off and uh, pick up and, and try and carry on, really. So, um, yeah, unfortunately, I can't really see us getting anything down there either. We'll round off with predictions as normal then. Jordan, you first. What's your score prediction? Um, I'm going to say 3 uh, 0 Chelsea, I think. It pays me to say it, but uh, yeah, I think it'll be 3 0. I'm going to go with a repeat of the, the score on earlier in the season. I think it might be 3 1 the same as it was at United. What about you, James? I'll put it this way, I'm taking Tom Heaton out of my fantasy team. <laughs> well, that's wise. Put all the Chelsea players and not make sure that we get a good result. Well, it is about all we've got time for this week. Thanks to Jordan and James for joining me on the podcast. Thanks also, as ever, to our sponsors at Neville G, who are continuing their sponsorship of us throughout 2015. Um, and also, if you do have any comments, feedback, anything to do with the podcast, please do get in touch. You can do so through Twitter, our Twitter name thingy is on in Evernet and you can also email us to the podcast specific email address, which is podcast at noninever.net and you can email us about anything else at just blog at noninever.net as normal. But that is everything for this week. So thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.